Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Welcome, everybody, to Off-Road Live, live from the Cabo Safari Resort in Los Cabos, Mexico. This is the weekly standard for desert off-road racing in North America, Off-Road Live. This is your humble host, Monster Mike, and a couple of the guys at the Baja Crew are here with us. We're all preparing for the off-road tournament in a couple of weeks and even more festivities in April. Come down and pre-run with us before the Baja South race that month. Come on down. Go to CaboSafari.com. All right. Well, there are so many big things happening in desert recreation and desert racing that we're going to have to get right to it. John Stewart's uh, on the line and will be speaking with us having to do with the big national breaking news that we have to talk about. We just have to. It's the gorilla, 800-pound gorilla in the room. Of course, Dakar. We will speak about Dakar also. We will report on today's festivities, results, and so forth. And, of course, we also have to talk about the upcoming races for 2016 right here live with you from the Cabo Safari Resort with our friends. Ram Trucks, Marlboro, Hard Rock, Budweiser, Red Bull, and BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja. All today, live with you right now. The headlines and news reports of desert racing and recreation. And we have a big breaking news in Baja racing. The possible boycott of SCORE International by trophy truck drivers. You heard me. It's out there, but nobody is talking publicly about this. We are live January 4th, 2016. Dakar special, January 4th. Live with you right now. 
the headlines in desert racing and in recreation. Well, one of the big breaking national news items that we have to talk about, we can't let it go, and that is the United States government has filed federal suit against Volkswagen over emissions cheating software in diesel cars. It's probably the biggest news item in automotive history. The Justice Department sued Volkswagen today over emissions cheating software found in nearly 600,000 vehicles sold in the United States. The civil complaint against the German automaker filed on behalf of the Environmental Protection Agency in United States Federal District Court in Detroit alleges the company illegally installed software designed to make its diesel engines pass federal emission standards while undergoing laboratory testing. The vehicles then switched off those measures to boost performance in real-world driving conditions, resulting in greenhouse gas emissions up to 40 times greater than the federal environmental standards. Quote, car manufacturers that fail to properly certify their cars and that defeat emission control systems breach the public trust, endanger public health, and disadvantage competitors, unquote, said John C. Cruden, the Assistant Attorney General for the Justice Department's Environment and Natural Resources Division. Quote, the United States will pursue all appropriate remedies against Volkswagen to redress the violations of our nation's clean air laws alleged in the complaint, unquote, he said. So there you have it, one of the biggest breaking news items uh, for this very fresh, brand new year. Volkswagen is in, has been hauled into federal court. The company first admitted in September of 2015 that the cheating software was included in its diesel cars and SUVs sold since 2009. The company is negotiating a massive mandatory recall with U.S. regulators and potentially faces more than $18 billion in fines for violations of the Federal Clean Air Act. The company could also face separate criminal charges while a raft of private class action lawsuits filed by angered VW owners are pending. Quote, with today's filing, we take an important step to protect the public health by seeking to hold Volkswagen accountable for any unlawful air pollution, setting us on a path to resolution, unquote, said Cynthia Giles, the EPA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance. Quote, so far, recall discussions with the company have not produced an acceptable way forward. These discussions will continue in parallel with the federal court action, unquote. So there you have it. Clean diesel. Remember that on the Volkswagen Touareg racer that ran in the Baja race and was built in Southern California? That entire story is found at BajaRacingNews.com. Take a peek at it. The entire story is right there. And it's a shocking connection to what's happened uh, today. As mentioned... Up next, we have John Stewart, our recreation specialist. He's he's next. Off-Road Live from 
the Cabo Safari Resort at CaboSafari.com. Stay tuned. Off-Road Live, Monster Mike and the crew, live from Cabo Safari Resort in Los Cabos, Mexico. The swaying cocoa palms, the azure blue sea, the wide open spaces, and great country roads. You can off-road Cabo, just go to cabosafari.com. And, of course, we're here with our friends, Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, and BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja. Well, the next story we really have to address directly. We've gotten phone calls from, for the last month since the finish of the Baja 1000 from various sources talking about a potential boycott of trophy truck drivers in the Baja races for 2016. Nobody wants to go on the record and state what's happening. But there are sources that have told us what's going on behind the scenes. Phone calls to Roger Norman have gone unreturned. And, of course, if Roger Norman is listening, we welcome his participation in the show, and he can call in. As you can, you can call in and participate in the show. You can dial in at 1-724-444-7444. That's 1-724-444-7444. Just hit 858-25-POUND. You'll get right in. That's 
pound. You can also go on Twitter and our handle pound off road. Your participation is welcomed. And as mentioned in this current story, we do have to say that uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, a non-return, an unreturned phone call from Roger Norman is uh, par for the course. As a matter of fact, when he first bought the organization, when he bought Score International, we called for an interview, and he refused. In fact, he's trying to. He has tried to f Baja Racing News and Off Road Live for years. So it's no, it's you know, it's not one small pleasure that I report this. But there's an uprising in the ranks in Trophy Truck, and it all has resulted from the Mango Racing incident that has been reported in BajaRacingNews.com. Where the co-dog gets out of the vehicle, is struck by another team's racing rig. Now, one report indicates that the uh, striking vehicle continued in the event and was stopped at a checkpoint at the next stop and was taken into custody and that it took 30 grand to bail the individual out which was fetched from the United States in cash by a fellow team's helicopter run and ever since then the bereaved the impacted have requested an explanation from SCORE International, and it has not been forthcoming, at least an acceptable response from SCORE International, to the effect that what's going on now is a potential boycott of SCORE International by trophy trucks in 2016, in this new year. We are going to stay on the story. When we get more definitive information, we'll certainly report on it. But right now, as stated, there is a threatened boycott by trophy truck racers in SCORE International for 2016. Off-Road Live will report the information as it is confirmed and verified on this show. We're live every Monday, 4 p.m. West, 7 East. More news next. Thank you. 
forêt. Fire Sea, white sand beaches, cool cocoa palms. CaboSafari.com. Next up, our off-road racing or recreation specialist, excuse me, John Stewart. John, how are you? Hello, John. How are you? Mike, I'm doing well this hectic Monday afternoon, starting off the new year, trying to get the files in shape. Yes, sir. I'm I'm right with you. Uh, John Stewart, uh, the off-road recreation specialist par excellence. Um, uh, we're live uh, on Off-Road Live. Uh, John, uh, in our earlier uh, pre-show interview, you mentioned that uh, uh, you had an item that you'd like to speak on, and then we'll get to that uh, big breaking item at the end of your interview. Yeah, there are uh, several items coming up on the uh, off-road market or off-road recreation issues uh, in Southern California. Uh, within the month of June, and these are on the kind of on the top of my uh, action to do list. And to start off with the uh, you know the we've talked before about the uh, California BLM on the Desert District doing their Western Mojave travel management and route to travel plan. Uh, I am uh, you know on behalf of California Four Wheel Drive Association. I filed a protest over the uh, this DRECP, and what we're hearing now is that, like my protest stated, is we're finding that there will be some uh, pre-decisional actions made that could affect what we see for a route system that uh, could get approved. So. Uh, I will be filing additional comments uh, for the, on behalf of the recreation, Cal, you know, Cal 4 Wheel, just to keep us in the game. Uh, but those protests still have not been adjudicated and cleared off. So that's uh, number one on my priority list for the for the month. And then we have three uh, three actions affecting the uh, Forest Service in the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains in Central California with the Sequoia, Inyo, and Sierra National Forest. And they are in the midst of uh, plan revisions and they have released a uh, some information. Uh, they want information and comments on their, their wild and scenic rivers component. Uh, they have a uh, species of concern comments that they're looking for and also a recommended wilderness list. 
these are some other action items that I will be providing comments on behalf of uh, motorized recreation community for the Central Sierra Forest. So I'm shaping up to a busy month and I'm going to be hitting the road on Thursday for about a 10 day period. So it's going to be a busy month. No question about it. And um, uh, uh, considering uh, everything that's happening uh, uh, news-wise, uh, uh, not a bad time to get out of town. Um, let's uh, move on to uh, the big breaking national news item. And as we have reported for many years now, uh, we try to be the uh, uh, kind of the alarmist uh uh, having to do with access uh, uh, in public land issues, uh, in particular having to do with recreation. Uh, and we have to speak, I mean, it's the 800-pound gorilla uh, in the uh, national off-road off recreation uh, area, and we have to talk about it. It broke uh, uh, today big time uh, across the country nationally. But it was the Oregon takeover uh of a uh, government building by uh, uh, some folks who have uh, some uh, weapons. And, um, I mean, that's the only way I can put it in terms that, uh, you know, maybe the Old West guys would appreciate as opposed to uh, the um, failed attempts uh, in previous uh, recent years uh, having to do with uh, Wall Street and so forth, uh, taking uh uh you know the streets and trying to close off freeways in its political attempts to get attention but what these folks have done in Oregon is the very first day of the presidential official run for the president uh in this country in the United States uh they've uh, uh taken control of uh uh some federal land uh and uh uh, uh, some federal buildings, federally owned buildings, uh, in the state of Oregon. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to uh, do a softball pitch opening to you, John, and and uh, I'm hoping it'll start a discussion that we can uh, get our arms around what's happening here. Um, this is this is a we would not be talking about it if it was not an access issue. And in one of the interviews I heard today uh, by one of the, uh, let, we'll call him an activist at this point. Um, they mentioned that this is, uh, to a great degree, a recreation issue, and they were calling on recreationalists to join them at this uh, Oregon location. Uh, after uh, having some time to, to, uh, to look at this, John, what is your take on what's happening with this Oregon takeover? Well, first off, let me preface any comments I make are my own personal beliefs and what I understand and my interpretation from what I have researched and reviewed on this. I am, uh, you know, my comments are in no way to be construed as representing any organization or in any official capacity. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, now, I have looked at this, and I have heard the argument that, yes, this is a recreation uh, of interest, and I will take exception to that because right now what they are doing and with the that small group of uh, protesters that have uh, turned into occupying that building, 
on the uh, uh, wildlife refuge is they are acting against the wishes of the Hammond family who are the uh, receiving a brunt of the the uh, punishment and lawsuit needed out due to uh, uh, depending on which side of the story but it uh, from the uh, founder site it lists a pretty fairly good concise chronological record of what has happened within that region over the last several decades and it is purely a uh, it looks like a water rights land uh, and property private property rights issue that is you know it does deserve to have a little bit closer attention put to it but it's not a access issue from a recreation perspective now so that's uh and and the uh the fact that they have stepped off into a uh, what could be construed as an illegal activity uh that just brings up in my mind uh visions of other places in the past where the the federal government has overplayed their hands when you look at Ruby Ridge in Idaho uh close to 30 years ago uh about 27 years ago, there was uh, Waco, Texas, with the Branch Davidian. So, you know, it, it, you hope that this will end well and that it will be resolved. And um, it, I, I'm kind of coming down on the side, the more I read about it, coming in down on the side of the county and some of the people that wish that particular action had not occurred because it is really distracting from the uh, heavy hand prosecutorial and judicial actions uh, and punishments meted out on the Hammonds by the federal, uh, you know, overzealous federal prosecutors. Okay, yeah. let me uh, help the, the public out who's listening to us. Who are the Hammonds? Well, it's Dwight Hammond, Jr., 73, Dwight. and his son, yeah. Stephen Hammond who were convicted right. of arson three years ago for fires they started on what are claimed to be federal property. Both men served yeah. time, the father three months, and uh, the son also served uh, time. He he served over one year. The pair uh, said they lit the fires in 2001 and 2006 to reduce the growth of an invasive plants and to protect their property from wildfires. And then uh, a judge has ordered them to return to prison today, which they have, uh, I believe, have already surrendered for four years right. because the time they had already served did not meet the minimum sentencing laws of five years. And, John, isn't that double jeopardy? Well, you could argue it's double jeopardy. Uh, but let's, let's, let's go back and, and for clarity on the two fires, the first fire, the 2001 fire, was actually a fire started by the Hammonds on their private property. And the, forest, or the BLM and the Fish and Wildlife Range Managers out there, the BLM Rangers specifically, were notified that the Hammonds were going to be conducting a prescribed burn and, you know, it's one of those unfortunate things that happens all too often is the prescribed burn got a little out of control and it burned approximately 134 acres 
of uh, BLM-managed public lands. BLM expended no resources to put the fire out. The Hammonds covered all the firefighting costs and, and put the fire out themselves. So that was a prescribed fire that got out of control. Now, the 2006 fire was there were a series of uh, wildfires started that would begin converging on that area and uh, burning towards the Hammonds' private property and their home, their house. What Hammonds did was started a backfire on their private property, and that backfire burned into about one acre of the BLM-managed public lands, and that is where... Because of those two actions, they are being cited for arson. Were there any structures that were harmed in the first fire? No. Okay. Um, no structures. It was all rangeland, uh, and uh, you know, prescribed fire was something that uh, uh, standard uh, standard rangeland practice in order to burn off. Uh, a lot of these invasive grasses and to uh, reduce the potential for fire and yet provide for a uh, better uh, feed growth for the cattle. So uh, in in your uh, estimation, uh, th- you believe that this is a, a reaction by the government that, that may have gone over over the limit? It's a reaction by the government that went over the limits. In fact, the... Uh, after the 2006 fire, the uh, what, Haney County uh, prosecutor received a case to review about uh, destruction of public property, and uh, as I can't. I think it was something about that. I'd have to go back and look at the exact terms. But the the uh, county prosecutor reviewed all of the information provided and declined to file a case because he's, you know, under the grounds that the information there did not warrant a uh, willful, intentional uh, vandalism or uh, destruction activity that was being charged. Everything sat for a year, a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, uh, a new BLM manager and a you know, convinced a federal prosecutor that here, this is uh, really not right, and they brought forth a different set of charges based on the 1996 uh, federal law about, you know, the classified terrorist activities. And under that, an arsonist was considered a a terrorist activity, and there was a mandatory five-year sentence assigned for that, you know, infraction or being found guilty of arson as a terrorist. So that is where the heavy-handedness comes out on the part of the federal prosecutor to pursue that. The Hammonds went to court. The judge in the case, reviewing all the information, uh actually reduced the sentence of the elder Hammond to a couple three months or something and the uh younger son who was actually the main 
individual in the whole activity uh, to a, you know, basically a one-year-and-one-day type sentence, saying that he could not see where the crime fit the prescribed punishment. Well, that sat for a while until the uh, VLM and the federal prosecutor decided to appeal it. They wanted the Hammonds gone. They wanted the uh, the full weight of the law applied, and they went back to court for you know an appeal that sentencing decision, and that's where you now have the Hammonds were sentenced to their full term in uh, in prison, which is a uh, five years apiece on the uh, for the well five years for the each of the uh, each of the Hammonds based on their conviction. Um, you know, uh, John, did did you just discover this? Was this discovery that uh, you you did today? Uh, this is when it when the news broke. I began looking and reading, and I was uh, fielded some queries about this from uh, some other people. Uh, you know, over the weekend, I guess it was uh, yesterday. Oh, so Sunday. you so some people have seen this coming. Have, well, it uh, the Occupy went into effect. Was it Saturday afternoon? I think it was Saturday afternoon. Because Saturday there was a uh, basically a demonstration in the town of Burns, Oregon, in support of the Hammond family. Right. And the it, occupation was, of the federal land came after an estimated 300 marchers, quote-unquote militia, I, I'm not sure if I'd call them militia, and local citizens paraded through Burns, Oregon, on Saturday to protest the prosecution of the Hammonds. So they they paraded right through the middle of the main town in that area, and then proceeded to go out to the uh, uh, to the uh, federal property. No, no, that's where. See, there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. going around. This is where I've been sorting through a lot of different reports. What it is that particular protest and demonstration? went off as planned and at the uh, near the conclusion of that a small group and here's where they don't know if it was six people or 30 people broke off from the 300 plus uh, in the organized demonstration and occupied that building the on the uh, the you know, the building on the uh, wildlife preserve gotcha so it was a subset of it and it's that subset and that action is not supported supported by the uh, Hammond family. And in fact, a lot of the residents in the area are against that action because they believe that there is a property rights, water rights issue that that the Occupy activity is taking attention away from what they are trying to fight through the court system and through the uh, the political uh, arena. Yeah, this is an Occupy uh, 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 movement uh, on steroids because they're armed. Well, yeah, uh, and yet there's no uh, there's no clear evidence that they are armed, other than a few people have said, "Oh, they saw them having uh, weapons." Oh, uh, okay. Well, you know that. So again, who do you believe? Right. And then uh, now the, what's an interesting comment, and I'd like your take on your reaction to this, John. I was taken aback by it. 
What are the local authorities saying? Well, the local sheriff, David Ward, said the protesters that came into the county, not just to you know, parade, but also, of course, the ones that are now doing the occupying, quote, claiming to be a part of militia groups supporting local ranchers, unquote. In reality, he said, quote, these men had alternative motives to attempt to overthrow the county and federal government in hopes to spark a movement across the United States, unquote. Well, I'd, I'd have to really get a tinfoil hat out on that. I conspiracy <laughs> theorist dream world there. Uh, it is all right. Let's let's take a look at the principal involved, which is a gentleman by with the last name of Bundy, who is the son of Clive and Bundy with that uh, standoff in Southern Nevada. Uh, about a year, what a year, year, year and a half ago. Again, that was based over a disagreement on uh, property rights, grazing rights, and what to uh, and and what uh, what to do with uh, or well, Cliven Bundy actually was refusing to pay his grazing fees for his use of the public lands for grazing of cattle. Uh, there were other things involved in it that uh, the gist of it was down. The what the government wanted was to essentially uh, uh, obtain his cattle and pay off the uh, overdue grazing fee. And that started that particular conflict. Well, somehow this is, I mean, and this is where, you know, like I said earlier, is that the, townspeople and a lot of the locals up there would just as soon this not have happened because now it is trying or putting the attention on a much bigger potential issue that uh, and and away from the problem that they're dealing with with an overzealous uh, and you know government administration uh and administrative activities, but bureaucrats in that area. Yeah, and especially with uh, commentary like the local sheriff uh, uh, said uh, about the protesters, uh, that uh, that's throwing gasoline on a fire. Uh, yes, I think it is. Uh, see, the one thing, and the one thing that's really obscured in all this is, and I have to find some of the history about how the uh, wildlife reserve was set up. And that was set up by Theodore Roosevelt about 1908 in kind of a roundabout way is that first off, he declared a big area up there, a uh, an Indian nation and tribal lands. And then the next thing you know is that uh, some federal land there was you know, essentially put under the Indian tribe name. And over the years, all of a sudden that that became the... Uh, you know, a few years later, it was uh, turned into a wildlife refuge. So all now, of this the, was under, was that an executive order and then administratively? Uh, right. Yeah. Right. But then uh, then what had, what has transpired, see, what has, what's transpired over the years since, what, 18, mid-1800s, around 1840, 1850, the time when uh, people were settling Oregon, is people came, went into that area, established 
cattle ranches and ranching operations. And over the years, they built a uh, massive uh, pond and watering system and water delivery system, which uh, benefited the uh, you know, the entire valley in there to the point where they converted an arid desert into a uh, waterland oasis. You know that was that was not natural. That was man did that. Uh, so there was no that, waterway there for the birds to go to. Well, it was a waterway, but it was really not a uh, continuous flowing, and it was not the marshland that the birds liked. Yeah, so it was. It sounds like a high desert basin. Right, a high desert basin with uh, erratic water flows in there. But yep. once it was turned into pretty much of a year-round water source there just to support the uh, watering necessary for the pasture land, then the uh, birds began to, uh, you know, land and stay in that area. Yep. Yeah, and I know where you're going. And then over time, the uh, uh, federal government began pressuring the uh, various landowners around there, and because they wanted to be, you know, begin expanding the uh, wildlife refuge, so they expanded it by buying out lands uh, and acquiring the water rights for uh, the various properties up there. And all throughout uh, this time that you just described, like the late 1800s, uh, there are folks who pioneered that land. Absolutely. Yep. So a lot of that land. Uh, that is now the uh, a Fish and Wildlife Service uh, Wildlife Refuge, a lot of that land was created out of uh, purchases. In fact, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, acquired uh, 13 or so thousand acres, which is one of the larger purchases in recent history that was essentially donated as a conservation, you know, through a conservation easement to, you know, to be part of the, and included within the, uh, uh, refuge system. Well, John, I got to tell you, you're absolutely dead on. In the last show, you said that you know the top concern is uh, are these administrative uh, actions that are taking place uh, out of uh, oftentimes even out from uh, out of view of the public. Not just the, are we not allowing to be allowed to vote on this stuff, but also it's it's completely out of our purview. Uh, there's no uh, supervision or uh, oversight of this whatsoever by the public, unfortunately, in a lot of these situations. And here we have the start of the year, and quite frankly, one of the biggest uh, breaking stories across this country right now uh, is this one, and it's the very first day of the official run uh, for the presidency in the United States. Uh, it's very telling, uh, John, that you certainly have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, and just to underline what you just talked about, um, it's very disturbing to me personally, this is my own personal view, also doesn't represent uh, anybody that uh, we're doing business with or anything like that. But these, uh, and I've watched it very closely, local, state, and national land purchases uh, for, for various concerns gobbling up the West. Yes. Yes, that's, uh, it, well, it's, it's, it's actually a lot of these purchases happened years ago, uh, and uh, yeah, it's 
Actually, I'm not going to try to go into a lot of detail, but I will will let you know that there is a very interesting book, or actually two very interesting books. Uh, One of them is entitled, titled The Cadillac Desert, and the second one is Crossing the Hundredth Meridian. Both of them deal with water rights issues, water distribution, and, and, you know, in the western states, and how the, uh, they they touch upon how the uh, western states came into the, uh, came under federal control, beginning with the Louisiana Purchase and uh, the various other ones that, uh, uh, you know, that, set up the, what is now the uh, boundary between uh, Canada, the United States, and between Mexico and the United States. So, And it is within these, when people started moving in, one of the first things they did was begin to set up land ownership points so that no one person could actually own all the land. And because so much of it was under... Uh, essentially came in, the uh, the Fed said, all right, if once a state applies for statehood, a certain amount of this land will be granted to the state and the uh, various statehood uh, charters essentially honored the pre-existing uh, ownership, land ownership claims, uh, you know, throughout the West. Now, some of those were some rather large spreads, and over the years, uh, some of those have been divided from, say, 100,000-acre-type parcels and and big, massive spreads like that. A lot of them have been uh, subdivided, sold off, and that just so people could afford to pay their taxes on them. Wow. So that is what you're finding now is that the land grab that is going on is going back and picking up a lot of these uh, parcels that people are looking uh, for a tax break. And, uh, you know, yeah, you can get a tax break. The Nature Conservancy acquires uh, hundreds of thousands of acres. There's a Trust for Public Lands. It's another big conservancy that picks up uh, large swaths of uh, private property and, and, you know, slaps conservation easements on it then uh, puts it or donates it into a uh, public domain. Wow. Uh, folks, you're listening live to Off-Road Live. We're speaking with uh, John Stewart, Off-Road Recreation Specialist. Uh, this is Monster Mike, your humble host. We're on every Monday, 4 p.m. West, 7 East. Uh, we'll get to the Dakar results in just a moment, but and, and uh, uh, an organized group of people uh, formed from a protest, and it's escalated into uh, a claimed armed takeover of a federal wildlife building in Oregon. The nearest town, Burns, Oregon, had a protest uh, march, and from uh, that uh, emanated a uh, takeover of the federal buildings. Uh, now, when I say federal buildings, you know, they're, they're just some structures out there. At uh, the M-A-L-H-E-U-R, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, National mm-hmm. Wildlife Refuge. Do you know how it's pronounced, John? Mulher. Mulher. The Mulher National Wildlife Refuge. And for the past few minutes, John has given us a great uh, sketch of what's been happening across the West, what specifically happened uh, this weekend in Oregon, and what's happening right now 
in the headlines of every newspaper in this country, uh, especially on the very first day of the official run uh, to the president's office in the United States of America. Uh, John, anything else that you'd like to say to wrap uh, uh, wrap your great analysis up with? Well, it, it's uh, th- these are very complicated affairs, uh, and the uh, I will challenge the media to begin digging and actually start going after facts and look at the dry, dirty laundry and 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 that that is behind the scenes. And forget about the sensationalism that is uh, they're trying to promote with this little uh, Occupy action. And, uh, you know, and I think it's, it's also important to note is that while a certain amount of civil disobedience is well within the uh, realm of uh, something that should be done, uh, that in order to uh, protect the citizens from a tyrannical government, uh, it, it sometimes you have to pick and choose what you're going to do and what kind of a uh, uh, you know a civil disobedience you're going to uh, push to make sure that it is effective. And this is one case where I'm really not sure. In fact, I am I'm quite sure that. That particular Occupy activity is going to backfire, and the real crux of the problem is going to remain, and which is the heavy-handed bureaucracy, and it's, you know, and that's where I think the the danger is in uh, letting those heavy-handed bureaucracies uh, go without a certain amount of checks and balances on them. Right, uh, and great. That's a great wrap on that. Um, and you know, the one thing uh, as a wrap that I'll uh, provide, their timing couldn't be any better, but uh, uh, time will tell of whether uh, their strategy uh, on that site uh, having to do with that issue will work uh, as in, in an Occupy movement having to do with the issues you've just raised. Uh, John, fantastic uh, overview. Uh, greatly appreciated your uh, analysis on this, and we'll obviously we'll keep our eye on it. Um, uh, we'll be back next Monday for another show and go over what's, uh, what's occurred having to do with this issue. But we want to thank you for uh, being on the show today. We know it's last minute and it's uh, cut into your personal time, but it was so very important that we get you on. We uh, uh, do appreciate you being on. Anything else you'd like to say or promote? Uh, not right now. I, like I said, I'm getting set. I will be uh, heading up to uh, Northern California, up to Sacramento area for a week to 10 days. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I will be at the uh, AMA District 36 Awards Banquet uh, this coming Friday night. Or no, Saturday night it is. This coming Saturday night. And uh, I've got a couple of other meetings up there this and I am actually going to take a few days and attend the Cal Four Wheel uh, Winter Fun event, uh, which is up in the Grass Valley area, and uh, maybe get out and do some uh, four wheeling out in some snow uh, trails in the uh, forest. Yeah, get some frozen fun wheeling. Yeah, I haven't done that for a few years. It's about time to do something like that and see some snow. Excellent. Well, best of luck, uh, happy trails, and of course, uh, uh, be safe. Uh, We'll see you back next week. And if we don't see you back next week, uh, uh, you'll be on the next show. Uh, Otherwise, uh, uh, 
we greatly appreciate your uh, inclusion in the show today. Thank you so much for uh, being on Off-Road Live. John Stewart, thanks very much. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Humble host, Monster Mike. We are live from the Cabo Safari Resort. Go to cabosafari.com for all the information. And of course, you know, we we have to invite you, uh, we'd be remiss in not doing so, uh, to the off road tournament scheduled for January 15th to the 17th. This year's off road tournament is after our famous New Year's Eve events and before the Super Bowl and get your off-road on here in Cabo. Just like last year's event, we'll include world-class fishing and golfing at the Cabo Safari Resort. Go to CaboSafari.com. All right, uh, Off-Road Live, and, uh, of course, Dakar 2016, live on Off-Road Live. For the next couple of weeks, as we have mentioned, uh, the the Olympics of Off-Road, can't get enough of it. Uh, Incredible storyline. Some of the scenery of the uh, competitors going through the mud yesterday, wow. You know, it's almost, uh, you know, when we first heard that – Peru and uh, Chile canceled earlier in the year. Well, now you know why. That's that's the reason why. They know what happens during El Nino in South America. Uh, Go to the website. You cannot find a better resource to get your real-time live information about the rally but Off-Road Live. I want to thank everybody at the crew with the crew in San Diego for holding down the fort and keeping up this great coverage uh, of the event. We've got uh, two uh, streaming forms of reporting going on from South America, and we want to thank Hank and Javier for uh, providing that real-time coverage for Dakar from South America. Thank you very much, guys. We greatly appreciate uh, your inclusion in this year's coverage of Dakar 2016 live on Off-Road Live. Let's take a look at the details of what happened today, and you can find all this stuff, of course, at Off-Road Live, including all the updated videos, results, and, of course, the backstory that everybody wants. In motos, Toby Price took today's stage, January 4th. 
Ruben Faria of uh, the great European continent took second, and Stefan Svitko took third place. In quads, it went like this in today's stage. Ignacio Caselli first, second Brian Bargwanov, and in third Alejandro Petronelli of the home country of Argentina took third place. In cars, in the results from Dakar today, in the Dakar rally, Sebastian Loeb first place driving the new Peugeot. Stefan Peterhansel, Monsieur Dakar, in his Peugeot, second place. And Vladimir Vasiliev of Russia, in his Toyota, third place. Congratulations, Vladimir. Janil de Villiers, in his high-powered Toyota, from South Africa, fourth place, and in fifth, Miko Hjurvenen of Finland in his Mini took fifth place. You can see all the updated race results daily from each stage, and even as they're moving along throughout the uh, checkpoints and waypoints uh, in Dakar on Off-Road Live. We want to thank John Stewart for his insightful interview today. We also want to thank those sources within SCORE, uh, telling us about uh, what's happening with the threatened boycott against SCORE International's trophy truck class. We do greatly appreciate your information. And, of course, uh, all of our sources are kept in the highest of confidence. This is Off-Road Live from Cabo Safari Resort. Go to cabosafari.com. Come on down a great time and our friends ram trucks hard rock marlboro budweiser red bull and bajasafari.com the king of baja stay tuned to the live coverage of dakar for the next two weeks on off-road live and we'll see you next week from the Desert Tower Studio, next Monday, 4 West, 7 East. Signing off from the Cabo Safari Resort in Los Cabos, Mexico. Go to CaboSafari.com. Live Dakar 2016 on Off-Road Live. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, 
you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.